Uh, hey, friends. I hope you are good. Uh, you're listening to Imaginary Advice. It's happening right here, right now. My name is Ross Sutherland. Uh, life's been... It's been full tilt this month. It started with the second half of the Imaginary Advice podcast tour. And thank you so much to everyone who came out to see the shows in Norwich and Chicago and North Carolina. Then I had my honeymoon. It was lovely. Thanks for asking. Then uh, I went straight into rehearsal for my new play, The Exorcism, which opens uh, this Tuesday, October 30th at Batsy Arts Centre in London. And um, you might know this if you're familiar with this podcast already, uh, but this play actually is. It's adapted and expanded from a couple of stories that I've told right here. But, you know, I should mention it doesn't require any pre-knowledge of those stories. It's its own thing its own independent thing and uh there's still some tickets available if you like ghost stories and uh trippy storytelling i think you'd like it it's on for a week last night is uh saturday november the third uh it's at 8 30 p.m it costs 12 pound 50 a ticket and you can get tickets from bac.org.uk okay thanks for letting me do that okay so um on with the podcast so this month I'm proud to present a, uh, a documentary that I made last year for BBC Radio 4 about the British professional wrestling scene. It was made in collaboration with producer Eleanor McDowell for Falling Tree Productions. I'm, I'm really proud of how this came out. This is called Make It Real. If anyone has any objections as to why these two should not marry, speak now or forever hold your peace. Forget we're watching professional wrestling for a second. Whenever we get this set up in a story, we know what's going to happen next. Even at a real wedding, that line always sucks the air out of the room. The crowd turns to the door waiting to see what terrible thing is about to rush in. Bram, the king of all evil, storms in, grabs the vicar and holds him horizontally over his head like a barbell. I I know you're a good man, you don't have to do this, Bram. He doesn't look like a good man, if I'm honest. Come on, please, just... Good men don't tend to throw vicars. Launched, the vicar clears the ropes and the barrier and is caught by actual members of the crowd. If you're a wrestling fan, it's just a matter of time until you're part of the story. Look at this! Nails him! Leaping clothesline! And another! Look at him! Boom! He's got a chair! What's he doing? A sledgehammer in the right hand of Pete Dunne. Well, there's a reason they call Pete Dunne the world's most violent vegan. Oh, oh God! Not screaming. Not screaming, it's too early. Lopez gonna fly! Oh no, 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 surely not, surely not! 18 stone flying and landing on his feet! One, two, ah! Get to the back of the head by the champion, throwing himself!
sale. This be the end. He's going to do it. He's going to do it too. Eddie Dennis lives. Come on, Eddie. Get on your feet. One, two, three. Ladies and gentlemen, here is your winner. The wedding fight has just ended. I'm trying to catch up with the winner, the groom, Ravy Davy. Davy's buzzing with energy, though it looks as if someone's taken a bat to his skull. It happened in the middle of the fight. His opponent switched styles, pummeling Davy's brow with these small, precise punches. Unlike the usual theatrical punches you see in wrestling, these were designed to draw blood. When the camera next caught a close-up of Davy's face, I recoiled. The whole room did. There was genuine discomfort in the crowd. When I arrived that afternoon, I'd seen Davy practicing for his fight, standing, swaying on the top turnbuckle. Someone pointed him out to me. Watch him, they said. He always takes things too far. You see, there's the story in the ring. I get that. But then parts of it continue out of the ring too. It's confusing. Even backstage, I can't work out the edges to the story. What's happening, Troops? I'm Ravy David, a fresh prince of Dermoyne Square, the boy for the scheme chasing his dream. I didn't expect to wrestle tonight. I mean, I was obviously just coming down from a wedding and then <laughs> end up in an impromptu match. I didn't have my wrestling gear on, I mean, wearing my brand new white tracksuit. It's as if somebody's been raining blood on me. I've got wee spatters of blood all over it. Yeah. This is mostly your blood, isn't it? Ah, it's all my blood. My eye's not exactly looking the best, not I mean I've got an eye this size of, I don't know, a hot air balloon. It's about the I size got... of like a Brussels sprout right yeah. now. And my nose is burst, but you know what? After that win, I've never felt better. What do you think was the biggest reaction you got during the fight? It was either the the big front flip drop kick to the corner or when I won. Yeah. It was either that. Obviously, in fact, technically the biggest reaction was when the crowd seen how bad my face was, but that wasn't like, a good reaction. That was a... But that was probably the biggest reaction, you know what I mean? Because obviously you like to think wrestling's fake and all that, but you can't really fake that, can you, you know what I mean? No. Seeing it right in front of you, you just know. I've stumbled into wrestling once before, Back in 2006, I happened to randomly meet a guy who desperately needed an announcer for a wrestling match in St Helens. At the time, I was a failing performance poet, so I asked if I could do it on the grounds that I also got to read one of my poems. Somehow, it culminated with me becoming part of the fight. I just set up yours, baby. Heresy, the bad guy wrestler, uh, they're called heels in wrestling ended up stuffing my poem into my mouth and kicking me around on the floor. It was the most violent and yet probably most thrilling thing that's ever happened to me on stage. Come out now, on the lyrics. Eleven years later, I'm sitting in the car with the man who beat me up. His real name is Johnny Brannigan. We're driving to the wrestling training school he runs in Manchester. And there's... He's one of my students, see it? Good kid, this kid. Really good kid. Let's go. One, two, three, four. Training starts with squats. 
Every wrestler squats whilst holding the entire weight of another wrestler on their shoulders. The whole scene seems to defy gravity, these gigantic bodies being gently lifted into the air. Here, I feel I can see the intimacy of wrestling, something that gets obscured by the storytelling in the ring. Your opponent's life is quite literally in your hands. It's like going back in time, this. It's going back in time. A wrestler puts another in a headlock, then there's a throw. One wrestler leaves the ring, another rushes in. Another headlock, another throw. It's an infinite loop. It's that headlock that has my attention, though. Each wrestler bends down, pushes head against head, and whispers his next move into his opponent's ear. You can just about hear it. The wrestlers have to keep adapting to the needs of the crowd, to the needs of their own bodies. The story is still being written as it's being performed. Supposedly, all wrestlers used to have long hair specifically to disguise these moments. But even today, up close, I have to keep reminding myself, even though it looks as if they're trying to kill each other, they're actually working to keep each other alive. Safety-proofing the violence is just the start. The body has to learn how to tell a good story. Wrestling stories are morality tales. The babyface, or good guy, versus the heel. The honourable versus the cheater. Good versus evil. Like Johnny, pro-wrestler Eddie Dennis tutors young wrestlers in storycraft. Technically speaking, my name is Edward Mark Dennis, but my wrestling persona is Eddie Dennis, which is uh, closely related to my real self, Edward Dennis, in and of it's actually the same person. The thing I'll always tell people is like sympathy is a way stronger emotion than elation. So bear that in mind when you're constructing what you're putting together. People aren't that interested in being happy. People get more emotionally invested in being sad. So make them sad for the most part so that when you make them happy, it gets a better reaction. It makes them happier, right? You'll never manage to get a better response from people than someone who they genuinely love being pummeled by someone who they genuinely hate. You'll never beat that. You'll never beat that feeling. All wrestlers seem to talk about the crowd as if it were the third person in the ring. But sometimes the instincts and desires of the crowd can be ugly. You've only got to take a look at the history of WWE, America's wrestling behemoth. If you look back to WWE in the 80s, the big heel characters were always foreign villains. So you had the Iron Sheik, and then you had Sergeant Slaughter, who was an Iraqi sympathiser, and you had a lot of Russian characters when the Cold War was at its height in the mid to late 80s. If you were foreign, that was you were a heel. I mean, I think wrestling's changed a little. I mean, this, do, we, do we still do it? We wouldn't. Like, as a rule, if you're, if you're from overseas on one of our shows, you're probably going to get cheered. This is Jim Smallman. He writes the storylines and is one of the founders of Progress, one of the UK's biggest wrestling promotions. So in, in the 1980s, being a babyface was dead easy. So in this country, you'd be the British Bulldog. In America, you'd be Hulk Hogan. You'd wave the American flag. Everyone would go, yay. That's it. We're a much more cynical society now. 
which means that being a babyface is really, really difficult. Being a heel is it's not easy. Being anything effectively, because the worst thing in wrestling is having apathy, right? When you're training to be a wrestler, it's so much easier for your first match for you to be a heel. So much easier. Because it's really easy to find stuff that people don't like. Finding stuff that unifies everybody and makes you like them like you is difficult. I mean, even away from wrestling, it feels like a hard time to be a hero. We still put public figures on pedestals, but it never seems long until the next wave of opinion sweeps them off again. Maybe the real world is taking more and more of its cues from wrestling. If so, the future seems to be in heels. Someone like Katie Hopkins is a heel. That's all she is. She's deliberately pushing buttons to get you... She is powered by you not liking her. And that's what a heel is. They're just a character. And... At least in wrestling, those people are characters and then go back to their normal lives. That is, except one wrestler. The current president of the United States had been a wrestling personality since the early days of WWE. Donald Trump became an on-screen ultra-macho adversary to WWE owner Vince McMahon. McMahon wrote himself into stories as a creepy, manipulative billionaire. Trump got to play the even bigger fish who could beat McMahon at his own game. He played dirty and cruel, but his opponent was so hated that Trump was still cheered as a hero. During one match, Trump body-slammed McMahon, punching him repeatedly in the head. Footage he would later share during his presidency with the CNN logo superimposed over McMahon's face. After being inducted into the Wrestling Hall of Fame, Trump left wrestling behind. Except, he kinda never did. It was a work of art. What, what a showman. Like, P.T. Barnum, man. Bravo to whoever. Like, not bravo, like, I want to slap them, like, cheers for, like, making the world worse. But bravo at, at being a, a PR or spin guy and... That was a a masterpiece. This is Mark Dallas, founder of Glasgow's Insane Championship Wrestling. The transition from talking about wrestling to talking about the US 2016 election was so smooth, I didn't even notice we'd done it. It had everything, chants, slogans, taglines, and all that. It's like, it was literally like you're working out your character in wrestling, so you would go out, they would say different things, and you find out what sentences people like, and you would just say them L. NL and get people to chant them and cheer them. and then he would learn how to turn and look at the it was like aye he's then like he's coming out like he's making an entrance to a wrestling show I tense my whole body and just go to scream but like I don't actually scream tensing 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 so the second my music drops once I go out I explode through the curtain the first time I saw Spike Trevay he was in a red and blue striped blazer swilling from a golden champagne bottle and spitting on the crowd. Identified as a Bullingdon Club-affiliated Tory, the crowd immediately burst into obscene chants about our current Conservative government. Through a mouthful of champagne, Spike shouted back, Well, you should have voted then. Spike Trevay is a privileged, upper-class party boy doesn't care about the whims and problems of other people and is angry that people seem to feel that he should feel bad about his advantage. It's not that he represents the Conservative Party, 
he represents like where the conservative party's gone wrong so he represents lack of compassion and having lots of money and flaunting it and not not really taking the needs of somebody of lesser means into consideration because why would he you were wrestling over the election, right? Yeah, so, like... I wrestled the I wrestled the day after the election against a person called the anarchist James Castle. I came out and they chanted, "Where's your majority?" at me. It's real, then, isn't it? it yeah, was almost... it was real. Yeah, I mean, like when I won, they hated it because I won by cheating as well. <laughs> One of my goons got in and hit him with a with the bottle and then dragged me on, and I I had no right to win that match at all. You know, like so when I won, they absolutely hated me. Because people are angry, man. Like, people are mad. Like, people, you know, people are really, really mad. The noise that they made, it was funny and it was ironic and it was, they were enjoying booing me. But that was the first time that I I was ever like, they're not just booing me for the sake of booing me. Like, there's something, there's something here that people are really mad at. Wrestling has these moments when... It feels as if it's exercising something beneath the skin. Sure, sometimes those nightmares are zombie undertakers or crazed cyber vikings, but it's also the feeling when you look at your payslip or the way your stomach churns when you turn on the news. We can't always put those reactions into words, but wrestling can make them flesh, something intangible to scream at, something unreal to root for. But then nightmares change, crowd to crowd, city to city. Insane Championship Wrestling in Glasgow had a villainous tag team called The 55, named after the 55% of Scots who wanted to stay part of the UK. I thought there would be people that would cheer them. Right. You go cheered in England when we went on <laughs> tour, they would get cheered. But Shah Samuels is a big Londoner wrestler. So if he's coming out there and he's pure begging up that he's for this part of the... Everybody's got to cheer him, do you know what I mean? Yeah, like his uh, charisma just sort of carries Ah, uh, exactly. Um, it was really hard at first when we started running different cities. Mm. So you get used to how a Glasgow crowd would react and then you'd do the exact same sort of show that would send Glasgow crazy. They would love it. Or you'd run it in Edinburgh. Edinburgh wouldn't react as well yet. So then you'd change it for Edinburgh and then you'd figure out how Edinburgh likes the show. Edinburgh likes really violent shows, which you really think because it's a really classy city and everybody's all well to do and all that. Like when you see photos of the crowd, and there's like, the crowd all looks like they're in a catalogue, like it's a photo shoot or something. But they pure love violence. So if you make violent matches in Edinburgh, you sell it. In Glasgow, they like a bit of storytelling, and also that's the crowd that's been here for years and years. So they are very much um, impressed me now. Do you know what I mean? They've seen everything, like, keep impressing me, and um, aye, that's all good. That, that's a challenge. I think the best comparative for it really is classical theatre. The rhythm of a wrestling match, regardless of whether it's comedy or regardless of whether it's a real fight yeah. or whether it's like a big epic confrontation, to me, there's so much similarity in, in, in a lot of Shakespeare's plays. Big standoffs and moments of quiet and following rhythms and big altercations and massive moments and dips and recoveries and moments when it goes quiet and moments when it goes loud and and like that kind of rhythm bang 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 the crowd are hot the crowd are on fire boom I stop it everything comes down they'll stand across the ring from each other like looking into each other's eyes and the room will be electric I'm on top of him I'm on top of him 
I'm drilling the crowd. They're going, come on. They're really wanting a good guy. Come on, come on, come on, come on. But the language is physical rather than iambic pentameter. So then, bang, he starts firing on me. Bang, 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 and the crowd are up again. Boom, I stop it again. There's a rhythmical art to it, so it's that feeling of one, two, one, two, kick it, one, two, kick it. What's it going to take? Kicking out of a move where they think that that's the finish. You sit up. And you look out at everyone and there's like this amazement in their faces. Like, oh my God, he's going to win! <laughs> then I go for the thumbtacks. 4,000 thumbtacks, which I bought at Tesco today, £31.90. Sprawled him along the floor, was about to hit him. One of the thumbtacks to finish him, but at the last kick of the bar, he scoops me up and he throws me into the thumbtacks. And then I start suffering. Stay down, stay down, stay down, stay down. Make the most out of this reaction. Good guy goes to hit me with a chair. I plead, please, please, don't hit me, please, 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 please. It's just like, no, I'm not taking it. Bang, that's my way And I slowly fall, and then one, two, three, and my CW career is over. <laughs> yes, it's theatre, but also add back in the constant improvisation, the constant bleeding beyond the fourth wall, the spectre of serious injury. And what have you got? Wrestling is pretty much the art of breaking rules. No wonder it can't be categorised. Can you tell me what you thought about uh, the Jenkins was too much? This is Mark Dallas. It's the morning after the fight in Glasgow, after Ravy Davies' wedding. I still can't shake the image of Davy on the big screen. Nose burst, his eye swollen closed. You know, a savvy audience thinks they know where the line is. Exactly. You went to the point where you start to think, now, once the fight continues after that, uh, now I do not know where the fiction <laughs> is or where it stops. That's some of my favourite moments is stuff like that. The bits where the lines are blurred or when people feel uncomfortable. I like making people feel uncomfortable. That's what wrestling's meant to be, and that's the dying art that doesn't actually exist anymore. And when it, it does and people see it online and they complain about things, that's brilliant, man, because that's good. Because that's what wrestling used to be. Sometimes you'd... With these smart fans, it's like when they think they know. But they don't realise sometimes that we're still playing you, man. <laughs> the person that we're being that's the real person, that's also a character to you, mate. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, the mask behind the mask. Aye, aye. Take the mask off, because there's a mask going that you don't know about. Do you know what I mean? I, I'll tell you something else about that match, you know, originally, like, it was, uh, you know what I mean? I thought it was going to go the other way, and then we actually, during the match, because his eye got so bad, and the sympathy was so high, we ended up like having to call it audible to the referee's ears with an earpiece and go, change it so Davey wins. That's really interesting. Aye, that'll change things now, but you know what I mean? But, aye. So, so you called that mid-match? I call, called it right before... It was a boot to go to the finish that was planned. <laughs> no wonder after the show, Davy seemed so genuinely shocked by his win. I thought he was playing me, but Davy was only a couple of seconds ahead of the rest of us. The, the, the whole thing behind it was that Davy was getting some things like working hard behind the scenes to get opportunities, got some opportunities. Then you've got fans that would get behind him because he's highly entertaining. But you get other fans, right, who are like you're saying these highly smart fans, oh, he's getting this because he's. Dallas likes him and this and that and he's a Ned and all these mad ridiculous things, right? So no matter what this boy does, like he could jump off a roof for them, he could do everything. And he did, he done all these mad things. Nah, still turning those up at him and I was like, all right, cool. Then I'll 
we'll do something where I guarantee every single person in that room, even the people who hate him, at that moment when he looks up and that uh, screen goes on his battered face and you see his lip quiver, the whole room will go, oh, come on, Davey. And then when he pinned him, the place lost its mind, you know what I mean? So sometimes you need to earn it out there. Right, right, nobody can doubt you after that. So next time he goes in front of a crowd, all them will clap and that will be his future. Maybe it's because wrestling has been called fake for so long that wrestlers have such a complicated relationship with their scars. Wrestlers train hard to avoid injury, and yet the stakes are always being raised in pursuit of bigger and bigger audience reactions. It's a knife-edge balancing shock and pain. Just like everything in wrestling, though, serious injury has a way of getting absorbed into the storytelling – Before, it's a distant horror story. After, it's an inevitable rite of passage. Injured wrestlers rewrite the story of wrestling around them. But if you write stories with your body, eventually the body gets worn away. It's the end of the night in Glasgow. The crowd roar as a cage descends from the ceiling, trapping our headline wrestlers inside. I'm wandering about backstage when I catch the silhouette of a wrestler sitting apart from the others. It's Grado, one of the breakout stars. He looks absolutely worn through. Tonight was his final match with Insane Championship Wrestling, framed as a loser-leaves-town fight against Shah Samuels. We move to a side room. Grado slumps back on the sofa, stares at the ceiling. I feel like he needs a boost. I mean, do you think sometime that further down the line, do you, like, is anything in wrestling forever? Wrestling no, is a perpetual never, story, right? Everybody always says never say never in the wrestling business. Yeah. So anything can happen, man. Anything yeah. can happen, anything can happen. The best thing in wrestling is being shocked about something. When somebody debuts, when somebody comes back, when somebody turns into a bad guy, when somebody turns into a good guy, yeah. if anything that happens that surprises them and it pops them and it makes them go after nut, and you know they've enjoyed themselves, and it spurs those on as well. When we hear the crowd go, oh, my God, they're reacting to this, they're reacting to this, they're reacting to that, we need to do this in our match. Yeah. So it's just the reaction Aye. factory, just got to keep making it. Yeah. I need to go away and find my love for this because it's been quite hard recently because... I don't know, just because it's, it takes a toll on my body and, and, and it's, this is what I wanted to do when I, when I was wrestling. I wanted to go in and wrestle in nightclubs and bar crowds and stuff like that. And I feel as if I need to go back, go away and make myself miss it for a wee while. Grado was propelled into his wrestling career through a fan campaign. Audiences loved his promos on YouTube, filmed by his mum, where he danced to Like a Prayer. Grado's character was carved out of himself. He lived wrestling, so it was only really a matter of time before he got sucked into the ring. I've been a bad guy for the last couple of months, but for the, the majority of my time, um, I'm, I'm a good guy, I'm a babyface, I'm the underachiever, the guy that probably shouldn't be in the ring, eats pizzas and macaroni and cheese and takes his dog for a walk for cardio rather than actually going to the gym, so that's, <laughs> that's, my, that's my character. So... How have you found the shoes of the other side for for a little while? Well, being a bad guy, yeah. I, I, for years I was always being cheered and like and I know that I don't like being booed, but it was just a weird, it's weird to react. I, I did get a, I did get an adrenaline rush off it, but it's weird you hear people will, will say things like I'll hear people in the crowd go, "Yeah, fat B," or you know that's kind of like, "Yeah, it's a bit nasty, man." And I'm not, you know, what I mean, it's hard to like kind of. 
they take that in because for years I've always like, go on, Grado, go on, Grado. And then I hear people going, you're rotten and you're terrible and all this kind of stuff. Grado's final match was all about humiliation. He'd littered the ring with drawing pins, then got thrown into his own trap. Once defeated, the crowd jeered mercilessly. But after his opponent left, Grado lingered. Slowly, the cartoonish jeers faded and the crowd's genuine affection for Grado rose back to the surface. By the time he left, they were chanting his name. After all the drama I've seen in the ring over the last few months, watching Grado lose to Shah Samuels was the moment that really ripped my heart out. Maybe because Grado looked genuinely defeated. Everything about that moment felt real. In real life, he's my best pal. He is my best pal. Like inside the wrestling and outside the wrestling. So it's been emotional that he was the one to end my career and it's always good because it opens up the story as well. At the end of the match was him hitting me over the head with a chair and putting me in and he whispered that he loved me in my ear. That's mad. <laughs> <laughs> I want the person to take me out and that's how I would want it to be done. Exactly. Yeah, cool, like right? hit me with a chair and tell me they love me. Funny, isn't it? Yeah, it's lovely. No wrestling story ever ends. In wrestling, we're always in the middle of a story, forever circling that second act. Wrestlers are defeated all the time, but there's always someone else rushing in to avenge them. Get out of this ring now. As far as I'm concerned, that's it. Come fight me. It's over. Is there a problem here? Come on, end it. End it. That's all for the podcast this month. I should say that uh, in addition to the wrestlers that you heard uh, in the documentary, there are uh, a huge bunch more who we, we spoke to. I think me and Alana, we had like over 24 hours of tape by the time we'd finished interviewing everyone. So thank you to all the wrestlers that we spoke to about the art form. Just before I go, uh, I just wanted to mention there's a couple of other podcasts that I've been lucky enough to uh, to appear on recently, and uh, I love all these shows, and I think if you don't listen to them already, you'd get a real kick out of them. Um, one is Tim Clare's podcast uh, called Death of a Thousand Cuts, uh, which is a podcast about writing and how to write. Uh, it also features uh, interviews with artists uh, about their process. Um, I've known Tim for many, many years. Uh, we go we go way back, uh, and uh, yeah, it was a real joy sitting down with him uh, for an hour and uh, and talking about process. Um, I also uh, did a stint on the Someone Else's Movie podcast uh, recently, uh, talking about the film Network. Uh, I really loved that. That was uh, an absolute joy to do that. And also, uh, I was lucky enough to appear on one of the latest episodes of... Uh, actually, it's not the latest anymore. Episode 84 of uh, The Illusionist uh, with Helen Zoltzman. Uh, one of my favourite podcasts. Uh, that's the episode titled Trammels, uh, where I got to talk about um, procedural writing and to uh, champion one of uh, my my favourite influences, uh, the uh, the French writing collective, the Ulipo. 
So yeah, and you can find all those podcasts in the usual places where you might find a podcast. Finally, uh, thank you to everyone who has supported the show this month on Patreon. I'm um, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for the support. In fact, I'm, I'm so tired right now. Like, I can barely talk about it without welling up. So uh, thank you so much. Thank you. I'll be back soon with more imaginary advice. Look after yourself this month and uh, I'll see you soon. <laughs>